This episode contains scenes of a distressing nature. Listener discretion is advised. If you go to our Instagram page, Murder Mystery 70, you'll see a photo of a graveyard in Karachi, Pakistan. There are huge kites, you know, the birds, perched on a wall watching over this graveyard. A scene that inevitably seems straight out of a Hitchcock film. There are rows upon rows of identical graves in the same color scheme of light green filled with stones. This is the Khorasan Bagh graveyard in Karachi, Pakistan. And in a private family compound in this area of large and small graveyards is where the poet Sfazedi is buried. When we visited on a Sunday morning three years ago, it was eerie and quiet. It seems very strange for Karachi, where it's never silent. As we stood at his grave, the kite birds were in the sky and perched on the wall, watching over the dead of Karachi. I'm Sabah Imtiaz. And I'm Tuba Masood. And this is Notes on a Scandal Season 2. The State vs. Shanaz Gul. If it was this eerie and strange to be in the graveyard where Mustafa Zaidi was buried in 2019, what was it like in 1970? Actually, of all the questions that we don't have answers to, we do actually have an answer to this. Because in November 1970, the police, Mustafa Zaidi's family, and the press of Karachi converged on Khorasabakh graveyard to cover the exhumation of Mustafa Zaidi's body. It began on the night of November 8th, 1970. At this point, the police already have a suspect in custody, Shanaz Kul. Why is Mustafa's body being exhumed? Didn't they already do an autopsy? Yes, they did already do an autopsy, which was conducted right after Mustafa Zadi's body was found in the apartment, along with Shanaz Gul, who was unconscious at the time. But a medical review board was constituted to examine the results of that first autopsy. And then a judge ordered that the body could be exhumed again and re-examined because there were too many questions that had been raised from the results of the first one. What were these questions? Or do we know, like, why they felt the need to do this? Or was it the whole thing about murder, suicide? What was going on? Can you just give a little background, Sabah? So I think one of the reasons why the Medical Review Board was constituted was, again, to be able to determine exactly what caused Mustafa Zaidi's death. And the Review Board seemed to believe that one of the causes of death was suffocation. And how that suffocation came across is what they wanted to understand more by conducting a second autopsy. And that is why then this whole exercise takes place in November, where the medical review board, again, because the police is trying to find a cause of what mm-hmm. happened here. They're trying to build a murder. And it's never established, obviously, in the autopsy either, that this was suicide, right? Because you can't make that judgment. To be able to make a judgment about what, what happened, it's not purely a medical decision. It's also a decision looking at the circumstantial evidence in place. True, true. And I think it becomes more interesting because the family had been insisting that it had been a murder. And also, I think one of the news stories that we read where Mustafa's brother visited the graveyard and he wanted an armed police officer to be there. That's not linked to the autopsy, but like it also plays into the whole thing where the family is concerned, right? Like that there was some foul play, that something did happen. Like it wasn't Mustafa didn't kill himself. or At least that's how I feel. I don't know. What do you think? No, exactly. I think there was such an environment of fear and paranoia that had been created in the days after Mustafa's death. You see that in the way that, for example, friends of Mustafa felt that they weren't able to talk openly about Mm -hmm. what had happened because they feared that their own lives were at risk. You can sense that in the kind of speculation about influential people and influential people interfering in the investigation or sort of stories about Shanaz and Salim's wealth, for example, which may have or may have not been extremely highly exaggerated. So I think in this entire environment, 
the fear that, and also remember that even the family felt that the police had not investigated the crime mm-hmm. scene property. They were the yeah. ones who had to go in and, and insist to the police that they should collect the coffee cups that were there. And the police had actually initially not picked them up in order to examine them. Mm-hmm. And these coffee cups are such a central figure in this entire story. So when the families has to truly hold the police's hand, so to speak, and say, you know, investigate this, do this, etc. Not only does Mustafa's family feel that there is some kind of influence in this investigation, but they need to spearhead everything. As you said, in the day before the exhumation, Mustafa's brother goes to the gravesite and they order, they ask for like armed police officers because what's the unspoken fear here? Is that somebody is going to disturb the grave? Influential people. Yeah, and obviously grave robbing or mm-hmm. disturbing graves is not a is not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for decades, but clearly the sphere seems to be quite quite prevalent. And so we know that, for example, the graveyard was under quite heavy security, right? Mm-hmm. The day of the excavation as well, there was a lot of there was heavy security present. In uh, Dawn's story, I think the report said that they had three SPs of the special squad from Nawabshah, Sevan, and Central Division also present there on the site. Which I thought was interesting because I'd never, I've never been to an exhumation. I, I don't. I hope I never have to go Old to one. Hashtag goals. <laughs> but I feel like it seemed a bit extreme to me that three men, like the police, is already there, but these three men were also present there. Also, Sabah, talking about the police. Wasn't there a curious incident that happened at the graveyard the night before? The curious incident in the nighttime. Yes, yes. I have to say that this entire saga of this exhumation takes on a theatrical and dramatic quality that I did not think was quite possible. And I have to say, as people who live in Karachi, where surreal things happen on a daily basis and you lose your ability to be shocked by them, even for me, this has to be by far the top 10 most ludicrous story I have ever heard in my life. So when when I visited this graveyard, Again, it was 2019. It was bright daylight. It was pre-COVID. It was a long time ago, really. Seven in the morning, and the entire graveyard was completely empty. Sabai and I were the only alive people there. Yes, yes. Us and the kites. And so it was very strange and surreal on a Sunday morning in 2019. I can't imagine what it would be like in 1970. When that area, Oban Karachi, did not have as dense of a population as it does now, where almost 20 million people live in the city and where there's always some kind of sense of noise. So if it was so quiet and strange all these years later, what was it like on the night before the exhumation when police officers were made to stand guard around Mustafa's body all night guarding this grave before the exhumation began? And what happens next is a story of almost ludicrous proportions. There are police officials who are supposed to guard the grave overnight. And then, Duba, they hear a loud scream in the middle of the night. Oh my God. And so the cops, apparently some of them had nodded off at this point. They woke up from the scream. And at first they have no clue what's happening. For context, when you see this photo, please realize this is a walled off compound with like fairly high walls, a gate, like it's actually quite closed off. And so it's the middle of the night, There are these identical graves, these trees, and that's pretty much it. And so the cops slowly made their way. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, but it is difficult to access it, right? When you're, when you enter the graveyard, when you enter the main place. Yeah, like it's a complete maze, right? It took us ages to find this grave and to walk in through this entire maze of graveyards on a Sunday morning again. Like it was, it's just a very kind of chaotically planned place. And obviously, I'm sure it was a bit more organized then, but still, imagine you're in a walled-off, closed-off graveyard in the middle of the night. And so, first the cops wake up, 
and that they have no clue where the sound is coming from. And so they slowly make their way to wherever they can hear someone moaning. And when they get closer, they realize that the person who is moaning out loud and probably was the one who screamed is actually one of their colleagues, a constable named Sher Muhammad, who at this point is unconscious and is foaming at the mouth. What? How did that happen? We don't know how it happened, but we know all of this because Mashrik and Urdu newspaper reported this entire story on the front page. And along with photos that ran actually in a bunch of newspapers of these police officers like standing guard around the grave. And Tuba, don't they look completely petrified? They do look completely petrified. And to be honest, I would have looked the same because that that graveyard did give me the creeps. Like even just the way we found the grave, Sabal, come on, it was it was a little scary for me. Like we were the only ones there, random. Like we were literally just jumping all over graves, trying to find Mustafa Zaidi somewhere. And this rickshaw randomly found us. And this guy took us like another half an hour into the graveyard. And then when we entered the compound, like all those kites, like there was there was no other unit site. It was scary. Yeah, I completely understand why these three police officers look petrified. It's the middle of the night. It's this high profile case, probably a murder case in the middle of a graveyard. And then their colleague is screaming yeah. in the middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. It's and so the way we waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. And isn't all of Karachi a Hitchcock movie waiting to happen? Particularly on this night. Since you're talking about Hitchcock, the kites did totally remind me of Birds, the Hitchcock movie. It was that. But it was worse, I have to say. I think it was much worse than Birds, which I... Because we were there. Yeah. So the way the cops described this is that they felt a sense of unnatural danger. And so first they spread out on all four sides of Mustafa's grave to try to figure out if it's somebody who's actually trying to disrupt the grave. And then when they realize that there's no one else in the graveyard but them, they finally pay attention to their mourning and foaming at the mouth colleague, Sheer Mohammed, and they get him to the hospital for first aid. And then later, Sheer Mohammed gives a statement to the cops about what happened. And I'm going to read this verbatim. It's translated from Urdu. I was on guard. Around 1.30, I felt a sense of unnatural fear and felt a shiver run through my body. When I looked closely, a human apparition was coming out and my hands and feet went cold and I fainted and fell down. It was Mustafa, he'd come to haunt him. Sher Mohammed makes a statement to the cops and then he faints again. Do you think Sher Mohammed told the story afterwards to his grandchildren? Yeah, I would. I am going to tell my grandkids the story of how we found the house and the grave. Like, those are enough to, like, send chills down anyone's back, somehow. I have to say, it's not even about grandchildren. I feel like I have told the story of this grave and this house to every single human being I have met since 2019. I think we're going to be, like, uninvited from every social event for the next 10 years. For repeating our stories. Yeah. And for just coming to people's houses and being like, guys, can we tell you about the time we went and saw this amazing graveyard? Anyway, it was a very strange scene. And it was really strange to see Mustafa's grave. It was really strange to see Mustafa's grave. Like, it... It felt really surreal to me as well that I was actually seeing it. I knew where it was, like, general location. Like, I knew he was buried in Karachi. But it was just still really, made it very real, if that makes sense. And also the couplet that he has on the gravestone. And the fact that he'd already written it and people knew that he wanted it on his gravestone. That's also something that I find really creepy. But also the way that the graveyard was done, like, it's so organized. It felt very cold. How they have everyone buried according to decade, which made it easier for us to find this grave, of course. But yeah, it was a very, very creepy and strange experience. 
Yeah, I find it very strange to be at like the graves of poets and mm-hmm. and especially Mustafa. I think I know we talk about him as almost like a abstract figure, but I think it's very ho- easy to forget that this is a real person. It's really weird. So I was also comparing it to when I was in Paris and I went to the graveyard where Jim Morrison's buried. Like people were like lying down over there, taking selfies. It was a very strange experience because I was just like, it's a graveyard, guys, like calm down. But at Mustafa's grave, it was very, very different. But I guess that's also pop culture. Uh, yeah, but I feel like Mustafa's grave felt also almost quite abandoned in that sense. Whereas okay. I go, for example, quite often to Saki Hassan, where John Elia is buried yeah. and Reis Amrohi, as well mm-hmm. as the painter Sadiqan. And those graves, especially John Elia's, is, there are almost always flowers mm-hmm. on it. And that's also because it's right at the entrance of Saki Hassan. Mm-hmm. So it's actually very hard to miss. And... And yeah, it almost feels very alive in a way that mm-hmm. Mustafa's does not. Mustafa yeah. feels very kind oh, 100%. of buried in a place where he wasn't really from and mm-hmm. in this graveyard with no family around. Mm-hmm. It must have been very strange to have to make that decision to bury him there. It kind of represented like how he was, like he was isolated in the end himself. And he, like even this graveyard, which is a family graveyard, we should add. But not his family graveyard, not it's someone else's family graveyard. It's someone graveyard. else's family graveyard. But even there, like he's very isolated like you know there's no one he was related to buried there with him yeah and then and then imagine as his family having to come back to the gravesite a month later almost Mm -hmm. and have to see Mustafa's body being taken out like almost unbearable to think about really so Sabah what do we know of the day of the exhumation we know quite a lot because the exhumation was covered in really extensive detail by a bunch of newspapers. Mostly the Urdu newspapers, specifically Jasarat, Mashrik, ran extensive photo spreads on almost every moment of this exhumation. It seems so well documented in a way that mm-hmm. I do not think I have ever seen an exhumation being documented in Pakistan since. That is true. Um, for example, I'm going Actually, to... Actually, Sabah, no. Another exhumation that was covered quite extensively was Bashir Qureshi's. So Bashir Qureshi was exhumed again? Yes, his body was exhumed and the remains were, the, whatever they found in his stomach was sent for forensic testing in the UK several times because they suspected it was poisoned. Bashir Qureshi, for context, is a Sindhi nationalist leader who died a few years ago yeah. and in very suspicious circumstances. And I think Tuba covered this death quite extensively. Yeah, I, I remember the exhumation from that because that's the only other exhumation that I've ever edited. But it was still very different from Mustafa's. Like the whole way that the papers actually covered it, like, you know, the way they took the body out and everything was quite theatrical. Would you really yeah. call it theatrical? It is almost theatrical. Okay, so first I'm looking at this photo from Jasarat, which is datelined, I guess, the 8th of November. There's a little story that says that Mustafa's body will be taken out of the grave today. And there are these three police officers, two of them, you can see, maybe three have guns. And next to them is charpai, which is a woven cot for our non-South Asian listeners who do not know what a charpai is. And it says that's the thing they will be using to put Mustafa's body on. So it's not even that there are stretchers. It's very almost rudimentary in the way that this exhumation is going to be carried out. Very, very basic. Yeah. And so actually this whole scene of the exhumation, Tuba, seems quite public. As we've seen from the photos, how many people are at the at the exhumation when it's happening? There's Irtaza, there's Vera, there's the police officers, there's the medical board. There's uh, Mustafa's nephew, Shahid Raza. Yeah. And there's Sahar Ansari, yeah, Sahar the writer also who, was, who was... spoke to us afterwards about seeing the exhumation. There's and... still quite a few people. And there's also... And there are all these the reporters. Yeah. There are all these reporters and photographers. 
What else can we see from these photos, Tuba? Since obviously people can't see what we're seeing. This is photo of Vera and Iftisa standing there on the side. Vera sitting on... What does Vera look like? Vera looks... She looks visibly upset. She's wearing um, a sari. She's wearing a sari. She always wore. Yeah. Her hair's tied back in a bunch. She's wearing sunglasses. She's sitting on these marble slabs. She's slouching. It must have been very, very horrifying for her to see... The man she loved, the man she was married to, his body being brought back up. And also, by the way, Sabah, this is the last time she's seen him. Because before that, she probably saw, like, the last time she actually was with Mustafa face-to-face was before she left for Germany. Yeah, uh, in the initial photos, you can see her walking or her standing close by. And then mm-hmm. in the later photos, you see her sitting down. And actually, in some of the photos, she isn't present at all. There are photos of Irtiza signing over consent papers because the autopsy is conducted in the presence of a magistrate. And so you can see Irtiza signing papers, but you actually don't see Vera in those photos. She almost reminds me of Jaya Bachchan in Shole. Yes. Oh, my God. This very, like, yes. stoic, suffering, silent widow, which Someone obviously just... it's hard to ascribe a personality to her. We yeah. don't know Vera at all, but... Doesn't that, that, that's the visual I think of always. Same. She always seems like such a faraway figure who has to be very strong. She's coming here, she's fighting for her husband and there's two kids back home and no one knows what's going on at this point. You just know that this man is dead. Yeah. I mean, there are all these emotions that are ascribed to her and all of the news reporting. Like I'm looking at this Mashrik story from 9th November, which starts with, when Sayyid Mustafa Zadi's body was taken out of the grave this morning at Khorasabak to conduct a second post-mortem. No one present at the site could control their emotions. There were heart-rending scenes to witness. The widow of the deceased, Vera Zedi, was faint with grief. She could not bear to see her husband's corpse and went inside the mosque at Khorasanbagh with the help of her brother-in-law, Irtiza Zedi, and Mustafa's nephew, Shahid Raza. And mm-hmm. it says that before the grave was dug, she wasn't even mentally prepared to see her husband's body. And Irtiza had to continuously console her because obviously the last time she saw Mustafa was when he was bidding her farewell at the mm-hmm. airport. The one thing that we do know, actually, we know quite a lot about the state of the body when it's taken out. So first, the the family gives their consent for the exhumation. They sign these papers. Then they dig up the grave and then everyone can see Mustafa's body, which, according to the newspaper reports and Sahar Ansari, is in a pretty bad state of decomposition. It would be by this point. It has been almost it's a month later. Yeah. Yeah. It says that the body is swollen. There's water leaking out of it. The eyes, which Sahar Ansari recalled quite vividly, remember, like, almost 50 years later, of how the eyes had disappeared from the face. So Saba, what Sahar Ansari said was, it was this, that when they showed the face, his eyes had completely dissolved. The flesh on the face had completely gone. They didn't show the whole body, obviously. So this was quite sorrowful. I recall then his writing, Meri Bajar Aankhe. Nam agar hogi, koi cheez to meri aankhe. Mera ujda hua chahera. And obviously, the body that's decomposing smells quite a lot. And you can see that mm-hmm. in the photos. You see all of the people wearing masks. Iltaza holding a handkerchief up to his mm-hmm. mouth. Also, Tuba, you can see in one of these photos where she's sitting by the slabs in the yeah. graveyard. And the caption in Jasarat, for example, says that Mrs. Vera Zedi is sitting sorrowfully while her husband's body is being taken out. That photo is also quite impactful when you actually see them lift the body and put it on the charpai. I think that yeah. photo was published in Dawn. It was an APP photo, but it's really something. That they allowed all of this to be photographed, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I like, don't think this one, they'd be allowed to do it today. Or at least... I'm, I have to say, I think our standards of things that are allowed to be photographed have really changed. I know this is a very personal family thing. 
but I feel like I have seen a lot of photos of funerals in my family, even taken in the in the seventies and so on. And I think we went through ten or fifteen years where it was considered completely improper for it to be done. I think people are now doing it again, obviously because of FaceTime and and things to to broadcast funerals and to show grave sites. True, I agree. Like I feel personally speaking, like when my dad died, people did want to take photos of the body. Which I thought was a little weird and I was like, please don't. It is really horrible. And like, which is why we like had this thing that no one could see the body except for the immediate family. But even when we went to the graveyard, people did take photos and I couldn't really stop them. Their thing was, it's just to like, you know, remember him by. And I was like, okay, that's a weird way to remember somebody. Yeah, like I can understand taking a photo of the grave when someone's buried, but of the grave yeah. site. Which reminds me of Rahman Malik falling in Nusrat Bhutto's <laughs> grave. Yes, but I, I don't know, like... People have strange things that they do. But yeah, back to back to the story. So according to Mashrik's story, what happened afterwards was they'd placed the body on a sheet and taken it out of the graveyard on the charpai. There was no ambulance present there, which is why the charpai was put into a police pickup and then taken to the mortuary at civil hospital. A machine was brought to X-ray Mustafa's skull. The body remained on the platform of the mortuary for a very, very long period. Also, mortuaries really really give me the creeps it's have you been to the mortuary at civil hospital i haven't been to the one at civil but i've been to the one at jinnah and i was terrified i went when the chaudhry aslam blast in phase eight happened and they've taken the suicide bomber's body there that was my first ever time in the mortuary and it was was so cold i literally had to step outside and vomit and the smell i was assuming the civil hospital mortuary wasn't any better i like scared that too Um, Um, 1970 i imagine this is like probably not without great air conditioning and things the Um, weirdest part of the story is that you can see in photographs like students of Dow medical college which is a college that's, that's linked to civil hospital waiting for the body to arrive at the hospital but in the mushrik story they take this to another level where they say that since Mustafa's body was in the mortuary for such a long time, students of the college kept coming to see the body. Strange on it sounds, but this case, I'm not surprised. It's a natural curiosity. They're obviously medical students. A body's been brought for an autopsy. It's been exhumed. So I can understand why they would want to do it. Plus, it's like also this whole thing of watching something while it happens, especially something if it's like crashing and burning. And to me, like this wasn't that strange because we already knew how people flock to the courts. You can catch a glimpse of Shana's. Like this case was definitely something that had people curious. In the medical board too, you have really renowned doctors who are mm-hmm. on the board, like very senior doctors of their time, etc. So obviously, even as a medical student, I can imagine there's a great curiosity yeah. to see what's happening. Anyway, if you are from Dow Medical College and studied there in 1970 and have any recollection of this day in November, please get in touch. We would love to hear your story of whether you also stood by and watched Mustafa Zadi's body arrive there. You can email us, tweet at us, Instagram us, whatever way. Just just reach out, tell us. Yeah, if your parents were doctors then, yeah, and studied at Dow Medical College then, we really would want to hear from you. And so finally, Mustafa's body exhumed is examined again at Civil Hospital. All in the hope that there's going to be some kind of magical answer, right? Yes. Unfortunately, though, there was none. Is that really true, though? I think it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, I think the answer is not so much what they did find from the autopsy and the second postmortem that they conduct, but also what they didn't find, right? Yeah. Things that are missing. And I think for so long we've been chasing... Yeah, I think we've been chasing for so long an answer, but we're not looking at the things that are missing from this Mm -hmm. picture. 
Which I think are important and, to actually figure out what happened. Yeah. Like one thing, for example, that we initially thought was true was that we thought we knew what time Mustafa had died. When we first started this case, we like chalked every single thing out and we plotted out the hour at which Shanaz arrives and the hour at which the door gets broken down. And we had estimated a different time of death. And then we get this medical report that says the time of death is like in the afternoon, mm-hmm. which completely throws us out of whack because how is it possible that Shanaz is lying there unconscious for several, since two or several three in the hours, afternoon yeah. till the next morning? But as it turns out, maybe they got the time of death wrong. And if they got the time of death wrong, what else did they get wrong? Mm-hmm. How are we going to know the answers to all these questions? Saba, we have a special guest, don't we? We're going to be talking next week to Dr. Samaya Sayed Tarek, who is the additional police surgeon at Jenna Postgraduate Medical Center. And Dr. Samaya has very kindly taken out the time to analyze all of the medical reports. And her findings will, let's just say it's been several weeks since we've spoken to her, and I am incredibly disturbed still. I don't know what you feel like. Same, same, same. Every time I feel like I have an answer, 10 other questions pop up. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. And so the next episode, we will go through the medical reports and Dr. Samaya will provide her analysis on them. And we will attempt to answer the question of how did Mustafa Zadi die? And what did the police take away from these reports that led them to then be able to charge Hanaz Gul with killing Mustafa? Mm -hmm. So that's next week on Notes on a Scandal. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Notes on a Scandal. I'm Sabah Antyaz. I'm Tuba Masood. You can follow us on Twitter on our personal handles. I'm Sabah Antyaz. I'm Tabahi Tuba. Same on Instagram. I'm Sabahi Tuba. Also on October 8th, we will be speaking at the Sen Institute of Urology and Transplant Center of Biomedical Ethics and Culture about our podcast and our work researching the life and death of Mustafa Zadi and Pakistani society in the 1970s. Tuba will be there in person and I will be there remotely. And yeah, there will be some physical seats available. But there's also a Zoom link if you go on their Facebook page and their Twitter page and their Instagram page. If you click on it, you can see us. But this will also be on their Facebook Live, so you can also catch us there. I think it'll be really interesting. There will also be a poetry recital. And I think we're in for a really, really fascinating conversation about Pakistan in the 1970s and how the life and death of Mustafa Zadi fits into all of this. Yes, please check it out on October 8th. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. And Tuba and I will see each other remotely and wave at each other from far, far away. A crowded room, far, far away.